First off, Shay, I'm so proud of you. That's all. Great. Um, so those of you who got the chance to come last Wednesday, Jason and I put on a seminar about relationships, about how to communicate with people of the opposite sex. And a lot of what we seem to keep coming back to was this, this idea of men and women think very differently. And, like, for instance, we talked about how men are able to compartmentalize and maybe literally stop thinking about something where that sounds crazy to me to just not be able to think about something, to put that away. Because for women, we, everything kind of blends together and affects everything. And so let's say, as it is right now, men and women have very different ways of thinking and they have to work hard at communicating with each other. But let's say one of the people in the relationship is like, mm, I don't want to change. I'm not going to change the way that I communicate with you so that you feel heard or known. I'm not going to communicate the way I act, change the way I act because that's just how I am. So I don't care if you don't feel respected or loved or wanted, but that's just how I am, so I'm not going to change. That relationship probably wouldn't last all that long. Studies say that the most resilient individuals, couples, and families are ones that are flexible and willing to change. So, with that in mind, the cliche that we're talking about tonight is, that's just how I am. And when you think about that cliche, that's just how I am, usually we think about it as this really stubborn, stubborn mindset that, Mm, I'm not going to change, but that's just how I am. Sorry about that. But when we look into that on a deeper level, really what we are saying when we say that's just how I am is really what we're doing is we're denying the power of the resurrection and death of Jesus. Because all of us are affected by sin. And so what Jesus is doing, he's saying, you can be transformed. My death and resurrection is allowing this transformation for you even in the midst of sin. So I was talking to one of my friends about this sermon and I was asking her, what did it take for you to actually want to change, to actually want to be transformed? What did that step look like? She said this, I don't want to halfway live. I'd rather die than live a life that isn't real and good and full. It just wasn't worth it anymore. Faking joy or peace or happiness isn't the real thing. And all the lies that I don't even want are robbing me of the things that could be mine, like life, real life. Real life. This real life requires work, it requires death, and it requires a power bigger than ourselves, a power that resurrects, and a power that changes us from the inside out. And all, all throughout Scripture, we hear language about change, transformation. In the New Testament and the Old, we hear words like rebuilding, reconciliation, restoration, 
renewal, transformation. We're told that when we are followers of Jesus, that we are new creations, that we are to be showing off the new heavens and the new earth. The way of Jesus is one that is continually changing us. It's a renewal process. So if the way of Jesus is transformation, then clearly he does not want us to sit in a that's just how I am mentality. So we should not want that either. So tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a blueprint in Colossians 3, 1 through 7 about what it looks like for us to live into this new creation, to live into this resurrection power, to really live. So before we do, let us pray together. Father God, I pray that tonight the reality of what we celebrate this week comes to life, that we recognize that you have died for us and that you rose again. Let that sink in and be true. Let us desire new life. In your name, amen. Daniel, will you put that first section of scripture up there for me? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. To really live now, we must set our mind on God. We must set our mind on things above. What the scripture is saying is that we have to look at him. We cannot be focused on all of the things of this earth. We must seek Christ. And the crazy part about all of this for me is that what he's saying is that it is actually possible for us to put our minds on God, that we can control where our minds go. For me, that seems nuts because my mind likes to go in a million different directions. I do ballet, and so sometimes I'll be at a ballet class and somebody will look at me wrong, and suddenly my mind is going into like, I'm the worst dancer in the world, I probably should quit, which means that I actually probably am a really bad employee and a bad wife, and then I start crying, all because of one thought that I had that spiraled. And so to think that Paul is saying that I can actually set my mind on something gives me so much hope. And so in this scripture, it talks about this word seek. We must seek these things. We must seek Christ. And the definition of the word seek means to crave, to strive for, and to demand. So when we seek Christ, we are striving for him. We are pursuing him and what he is about. We are to crave him. So how do we crave Christ? Well, in order to crave something, we must first experience it. I know very few drug addicts that have never experienced drugs. I bet a lot of you in this room have probably at some point been to a camp, gone on a retreat, gone on a mission trip, and when you come back from this place, you say, I experienced God here. I felt so close to him in Seattle, in Ecuador, 
at Camp Ozark. And you come back, and he hasn't gone. He's still here in your ordinary life, but your mind is no longer set on him like it was there. You begin to think and be distracted by all the things of this world. But it's totally possible to be in this ordinary life and to set our mind on him. And because when we do that, extraordinary things will come. But we must first start in our mind, our thoughts. Because here's the deal. Our thoughts, our brain controls so much of the way that we act and respond. Research says that when we have a positive outlook on life, we have positive experiences. And when we have a negative outlook on life, we have a negative experience. So if I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I am loved and known by my friends, my husband, by God, my day is going to probably be pretty great. But if I wake up and I'm like, gosh, I, nobody cares about me, I'm no good, probably going to have a negative experience. There have been studies done on people who have been diagnosed with cancer, have experienced cancer-like symptoms, and die from that. But then when an autopsy is done, they're totally cancer-free. Because they believed they had cancer, they died of it. There's this book called The God-Shaped Brain, and in the introduction, it tells the story of a doctor. And this doctor was in his office, and he had a patient come in, and the patient was dying. But there was absolutely nothing wrong with this man. So the doctor asked the guy, he's like, what? Do you know why you're dying? Like, what's going on? And the man told him, well, this voodoo man cursed me and told me I only had a week left to live, so I'm dying. Well, this doctor understood that the brain had a lot of control over the body, and so he comes back the next day and tells his patient, hey, I found that voodoo man. And he told me he put lizard egg inside of you to curse you, to eat away at your organs. So then this doctor gave the patient medicine that made him made him vomit, induced vomiting, and then out of his pocket the doctor pulls a lizard and shows it to the man and was like, look, the curse is gone. You threw up the lizard. You can get better now. The man gets better the next day. Athletes are told to visualize winning, to visualize making that shot, catching that pass. Because their coach knows that if their mind is set on something, their body will probably respond to that. And so Paul here, I think he gets this. He's saying set your mind on Christ because then it will flow and move the rest of your actions in your body. Think about those times that you were at those camps or that mission trip. During those times, you were spending time with the Lord. You were reading his scriptures. You were being taught. You were having intentional conversations. And as you were having all of these things, as your mind was set on Christ, you began to experience freedom, life, newness. All of these things were happening because your mind was set on Christ. 
Last night we had a seminar for seniors talking about what the next step of life looks like and one of our panel members was an old intern and she was talking about her current job. And she was saying that the morning she wakes up and sets her mind on heaven, she goes into work and is the best barista ever. She cares about the people she works with. She cares about the people that come in. She makes a great cup of coffee. But the mornings that she wakes up and, and sets her mind on the things of this world, she says she just feels like a failure all day long. And she begrudgingly makes coffee for people. Because it is our minds when they are set upon something that affect the way we respond and live. So for each of you, what can this look like for you to set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth? Well, first you will notice what this looks like because things will begin to change. You'll begin to look at truth and not look for all the lies and begin to function out of the lies around you. You'll begin to ask God what it is he says about you not what it is that your thoughts are saying about you. It will look like seeking, seeking after Christ, seeking after the things that he is doing and the things he is about. Seeking as in looking around you will go off of autopilot and begin seeing that, oh wait, the sun has actually risen. Flowers are blooming, leaves are changing. Your eyes are opening. Your hearts are softening. And it will also look like seeking in the other form of the definition, seeking. To seek also means to meditate and to think upon. And so your life will look like meditating on the words of Scripture, the actions, and the life of Jesus. It will look like thinking upon what he says. And that, that can be scary, especially when we are in maybe a hopeless part of life. We don't want to think upon what he says and play that in our life because we are afraid that we will be disappointed again. But unless we think upon these things, we probably will remain in this hopeless state. This life looks like seeking friends that communicate truth, not drag you into these lies. It looks like seeking light in the midst of darkness. It looks like looking upon the face of Christ. This steady gaze, this steady thought will then move us into action and transformation. Will you put that next section of scripture up there, please? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, an obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. In order to really live now, things must die. The scripture isn't easy. It doesn't just say, you know, suppress 
or control those evil things in you. It says to die, to kill them. Really strong language. And even when I read this and I read this word put off, what I'm thinking about is like taking off clothing. And so I think about what it even, how hard it is even for me to get rid of some piece of clothing, killing that piece of clothing. Even if this t-shirt is not cute, dirty, well, there was some kind of importance to me in it, and so I don't want to get rid of it. And if it is that hard to get rid of a shirt, gosh, putting things that seem to be just how I am a part of us is even harder. And there are those things in our life which are very similar to that t-shirt where it seems like, well, there was something that was important to me in it. We have sins in our life that at one point maybe had, had a, a reason for being there. For instance, a little boy, when he is younger, if he is crying, sometimes people tell him, well, you know what, it's not tough to cry. You can't do it. And so instead of crying, he begins to express his emotion in anger. And that works. There's a use for it for him. And so when he gets older and reads that I need to put off anger, this is confusing because there was a purpose for it. Or for some of us, when you got in trouble when you were little, if you got in trouble and then started beating yourself up about it, like, oh, I know I'm the worst, I can't believe I did this, oftentimes our parents wouldn't punish us as much because we felt this guilt. And so for us, guilt had a purpose, it kept us safe. And so then we read, we need to be getting rid of these things, but they have become such, such a part of us. There, this happens with our spiritual life, emotional life, and physical life. Oftentimes these sins that we have to put to death have, were coping mechanisms. We didn't know how to deal with grief or tragedy, so we put these things on to help us cope. Or sometimes these things have just been around for so long that they seem normal. And so to think about getting rid of some of it, killing some of it seems so terrifying because it took us 20 plus years to live in this, and so how long is it going to take to let that die? We become so wrapped up in our anger, in our lust, in our lies, that it is terrifying to put them to death. Imagine you are a pathological liar. And oftentimes people that, that lie are doing this because their original reality was not good. So they lie to create this new reality for them. And so when they read the scripture, it says, put off these lies. Well, that is changing their whole reality as they know it. But if they want this new life, this real life, they must put that off. And not only does death emotionally hurt, but sometimes we physically hurt from it. Death is hard. And then not only is there death, but when something dies, that means we change. That means something in our life has to change, and that is not comfortable. We are used to doing life how we are. We're used to doing this, and so we become good at living in this cycle. 
See, we'd rather keep the armor on that we have made, that we have lived in for our whole life, even though maybe there's arms falling off and and it doesn't actually protect us, but we feel safer in that because we know it. It's not as much of a risk. Women that are abused oftentimes will continue a cycle of going back into abusive relationships. Not because they like being abused, but because they know this. This is comfortable. We do this. We continue to stay in our sin cycles because we know it. It's comfortable and it seems more risky to get out of it. We sometimes do this with funny things. We have these like random things that we do that make no sense. They make us feel comfortable. My mom just moved out of her house, but until she just moved out, she still had the child-proof things on all of her cabinets. I'm a 30-year-old. I don't need to be child-proofed out of a cabinet. But that was safe for her. My sister-in-law, who is a marriage and family therapist, calls this homostasis. It means the normal we create around functional and dysfunctional behaviors. Creating a false sense of comfort that allows a system to continue to function. And so for instance, let's say you start dating somebody and your whole relationship is based off of trashy TV. That's all you do, you watch this trashy TV. Well, it feels comfortable and safe because you've created this this false sense of safety around this behavior. Well, as soon as one of you stops watching trashy TV, the relationship becomes very unstable because it was based on that. And this explains why this abused woman will continue to go back because what she knew to be comfortable and safe was abuse. And so that cycle continues. She becomes fearful of ever leaving because she doesn't know if she will have money. She doesn't know if anybody will ever love her. But what Christ is saying is that you don't have to fear those things, that you can trust him. And it is when we trust him that we are able to see this new identity in us appear that these things that we are to put to death, we become more bold and able to do that because we realize that death is not the end, but that resurrection and new life is. We put up that last scripture for me. And put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, There is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is in all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you must also forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, 
and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In order to really live, we do not see death as the end, but we see resurrection as the end of the story. When we're being asked to put these things to death, what he is saying in this part of scripture is that he wants to sprout up new life in those things and offer new life in the midst of that. Jesus, when he died, that wasn't the end. He instead inserted resurrection in the midst of it. This is what we believe in. This is what is the basis of our faith. Not that he died, but that he rose again, that he conquered death and resurrected. And so he is offering this to us. And not just a one time you die and then you're resurrected again, but he's saying he wants to continually renew us and give us new life in all of these things and all of these things that we are told to put to life. He wants, put to death, he wants to put life into And the really great thing is that he doesn't just leave us, like I was saying, in this death. He's saying, hey, I'm not leaving you without these clothes that you've taken off. I want to put these new clothes on you. I want you to live out of that. And all of us love new clothes, right? And he's saying, okay, put off anger, but put on compassion. Resurrection does not leave us simply in our grave, saying I've given you new life so that you may get out of that tomb, take off those grave clothes, and actually live new life. So what Paul is doing in this passage is he is giving us these lists of things to put on to really actually help us not only live new life, but to put to death the other things. See, if I get a new shirt, I'm like, I look great in this. This really like flatters me. I feel really comfortable in it. Putting that on is gonna make me way more likely to wanna get rid of that old one. So Paul allows us and helps us with this. Daniel, we put up that list. So. So what he's doing is he gives us these lists of put on and put off, and he's saying, okay, maybe instead of you sitting there and thinking, okay, stop being angry, stop being angry, stop being angry, what would happen is if you started by putting on compassion. So if I am somebody who puts on compassion, I'm somebody that really cares about somebody else, somebody that is sad alongside of somebody, that wants to know all the circumstances that they are going through. And so if I'm doing this, it's probably gonna be really hard to be angry at that person. Or we can pick another one. We have slander and humility. If I'm somebody that struggles with slander, well, slander is tearing somebody down, is lording over them and saying, you need to be less. But if I put on humility, well, humility by nature is building somebody up. It's coming up under them. 
So it's going to be really hard to tear somebody down if I'm about building them up. And I'd encourage you that if there is something that you are really, really struggling with, maybe think about putting something on. Maybe meditate on that. Because what Christ likes to do is replace death with life. We see him say, you know, dwell in my peace. When we do that, that is when the fear and anxiety leaves. Let my word dwell and live within you. That is when the lies go. He says that he has victory over death and sin and darkness. And when he says that, he puts light and life and truth in its place. So for us, what does it look like to live as these resurrected people? Well, if you know me, you know I say this a lot, but, but when we have this new life, we're more of ourself. We don't become these like personality-less robots. We become more who we've been created to be. So if I put off this old self of anger in me, I'm going to be able to reconcile with my roommate and be a better friend. When I put off jealousy, I'm going to be able to go up to that stranger and really know and care and want to hear their life. When I put off stubbornness, I'm going to be somebody that learns all the time. I'm becoming more me. You will become more of that silly, fun, creative, intelligent, wonderful self when you put on this new life. And when you live as resurrected people, you will recognize that resurrection trumps everything. It trumps your anxiety, your depression, your self-image, your lust. It wins. It has victory. It is bigger than all of those things, and you will believe it. You will be people that will put on the imperishable clothing and get rid of the filthy rags. You will be people that actually sit and think, our God died and resurrected from the dead. He rose from the dead. And so if he is about resurrection, gosh, then I should be too. He with his life was about rising in new life, and so he does not want you to sit in this pit of that's just how I am and stay there. He wants resurrection for all of us, and we will live into that if we want to really live. And so tonight what I want to do is I want you to take a look at this list, and this week I want you to pick one of the things on the right, one of the new life, the new self descriptions. And so for this Easter week, this holy week, I want you to pick one of these things and I want you to set your mind on it, to think upon it. I want you to watch as it kills off the things that need to die in your life. And I want you to watch as it shows off resurrection. It shows off what this week is about, this new life. So pick one. And then... Go and be these people that believe that Christ rose from the dead. Be people that set your mind on the things above. 
be people that put to death the sin within you and be people that really live, people that live this new life, this resurrection reality. Because Christ has risen, he has risen indeed. Amen.